on the back end of a four-week unpacking of the vision and mission of our church. For the next few weeks, we'll be having a series of topical messages from some of the elders here, including myself, and, some, and also some outside guest speakers, which is exciting, after which we'll be starting our new series in a new Old Testament book of the Bible, if that makes sense, new Old New Old Testament book. <laughs> I'd like to think that today's message will continue to contribute to our understanding the vision and the mission for us here at Calvary Chapel, South London. The message of Joshua chapter 1 is very similar to the Great Commission that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 28. So with that in mind, we join with me as we pray. Dear Lord God, Thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are our God, yet you are also the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Today we will hear echoes of your voice in the past that speaks to us in the present. These things written in the Old Testament were written for our benefit, upon whom the end of the age has come. Please, Father, would you give us ears to hear. For Jesus' sake. Amen. So turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. Now as you're turning there, how many of you know we live in a world filled with broken promises? Coalition government. They said there'd be no third runway at Heathrow. There'd be a freeze on tuition fees. And then they trebled them. <laughs> Ouch. I got away with one child, but the other one is going to have to take the lick. They also said there'd be a ban on fox hunting. Promises, but broken promises. Maybe you've experienced a boyfriend or a girlfriend that didn't follow through on their commitment to you in the past 12 months. How about maybe an absent dad that has abandoned you? Or how about marriage? Maybe a spouse that has been unfaithful. We live in a world filled with broken promises. You know, there's an, there's an old proverb. It's really simple. And I think it's one that we do well to take to heart. Me included. Under promise and overperform. Under promise and overperform. That way you won't get yourself in trouble, right? People break promises... And that's the point, isn't it? People, sinful people, break promises. But not God. God keeps his promises. Amen? God keeps his promises. And that's the title of our message today. From Joshua chapter 1, hopefully you're there. And we're going to be looking at verse 1 through to verse 9. So here we go. Reading from the ESV. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses is assistant, right? Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Just as I promised to Moses. 
from the wilderness and it's Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all of the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. That's the coast of the Mediterranean. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. Amen. That is the word of the Lord. This is the time of Joshua. Immediately after Moses, right? And it's just before God's people enter into the promised land. A generation before, God had delivered the Israelites out of slavery. And Moses has been leading them as God's faithful servant. God had big plans for Israel, that they would become a nation of priests and a a beacon to the other nations, the other surrounding nations, representing God and being his agent through which the nations would be blessed. And that they would become the family through which would come the promised offspring of who? Abraham. More about that in a minute. Not long after passing through the Red Sea, God gives them the what? He gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them the law. And there are blessings if they keep the law, and there are curses if they don't. And how many of you know God keeps his promises, negative or positive, depending on how you look at it? They have, as God's people now traveling through the wilderness, they have the tabernacle which is God's meeting place. It was called a tent of meeting, where God would meet right in the center of the camp, where God would meet with his people. God is dwelling, he's living with his people. And soon God commands them to go and possess the land of Canaan, the promised land. But the people disobey God's rule, constantly grumbling, and they even want to return back to Egypt, right? And as a result, they end up wandering around in circles in the wilderness for 40 years. Until the whole disobedient generation dies, including even their great leader, Moses. Verse 1 is the introduction to the voice that would dominate our text. 
I probably didn't do it justice when I was reading it, but our verses, verse 1 to 9, are a one-sided conversation between two, God and a man named Joshua. Joshua. <clears throat> Joshua is my son's name, <clears throat> and that has no bearing on our, <laughs> on, our, on our message whatsoever, but pray for him because he's got tonsillitis. <clears throat> so, God and Joshua, eight out of the nine verses is God speaking. God is a speaking God. God is the, he's, he's the first one to speak in Genesis chapter one, and he's the last one to speak approximately in Revelation chapter 22, just as John seals the book. God is a, he's a speaking God. And God communicates his words, he communicates with words in order to, to convey with clarity his, his will and his purpose. And God speaks in clear, no uncertain terms. Verse 1 is the introduction to God's voice. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. And this links back to the previous chapter of the previous book, right? It's the first book of Joshua. The last book is which, is which book? Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 34. <clears throat> At this point in Deuteronomy 34, before our point in our text, because of his disobedience and misrepresentation of God, Moses is denied access to Canaan, right? You can read about that in Numbers chapter 20. And here we see Moses, just before he dies, he gets a sneak peek at the promised land. And he sees the faithfulness of God. He sees where this whole journey has eventually now culminated. And particularly for him, because he's not going in. And in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 34, you can flip back there if you want to, or you can have a look at the screen. It says, and the Lord showed him, that is Moses, all the land Gilead as far as Dan. You ever hear the Bible talk about from Dan to Beersheba? From Dan is the top right down to Beersheba. It's a little bit like saying from St. John, um, Land's End to John O'Groats, which is like Land's, John O'Groats is all the way up in Scotland, and Land's End is right on the end of the tip of, is it Cornwall? Is it, is it, is it Devon and Cornwall? It just covers the whole, it's like saying from top to bottom, from head to toe, from Lanzan to John O'Groats, from Dan to Beersheba, <clears throat> if you like. And verse 4, and the Lord said to him, this is the land of, this is the land, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham. Now, many of you know when God begins to swear, <laughs> what he's talking about is, is he's making a promise, Right? And he says, look, this is the land, Moses, of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, that I will give it to your offspring. I've let you see it with your eyes, Moses, but you shall not go over there. God keeps his promises. Moses dies at 120 years old, fit and healthy, right, with 20-20 vision. And Israel mourned for 30 days and Moses then hands over, if you like, at this point, the baton to Joshua. The man dies, yet God's purpose continues to live on. Like, remember when David, great king, 
fallen king, yet a humble king, a king after God's own heart. He was a sinner, yet he was a great king. David dies. He passes the baton over to his son Solomon. And the kingdom continues. We see when Elijah, the prophet, was leaving, he passed over the baton or his cloak, if you like. He passed over his roles and his responsibilities to Elisha. Even in the New Testament. I mean, I remember when we were going through the book of Acts and we got to chapter 12 and I was a bit disappointed in the way that it just said, and James, the brother of John, was killed with the sword and the story just continues on. I'm like, Lord, not even a little bit more about James and how people loved him and no. The man dies, but God's purpose continues. And it's good for us to appreciate that because then we don't put our trust in a man. You know what I'm saying? Whether he's great and strong or whether he's weak and he falls, our trust is in God. Amen? It's very helpful for us. See, and then the Apostle Paul comes on the scene and is later executed. I mean, Paul, the great apostle, is gone. Can you imagine how that, can you imagine the ripple effects that the church would experience now knowing that Paul was dead? And he's succeeded by who? But Timothy, we did it when we looked at Second Timothy. And I mean, what a hard act to follow. No wonder Paul had to continually encourage him. <laughs> and the church keeps marching on. God's purpose continues. And just like Timothy, who was Paul's protege, Paul's disciple, Joshua in our text had been the servant or the assistant of Moses, the servant of God for a number of years. And I suspect he is feeling a little like Timothy in the shadow of Paul, in the shadow of Moses. I mean, Moses, yeah. Moses' job is up for grabs. Who wants it? Them days is some big boots to fill. Moses, anytime you talk to anyone about the Old Testament, you ask them to name someone, you know Moses is going to be in the top three. Like Pastor Brian Broderson taking over from Pastor Chuck. Yeah, we can trust that Jesus will continue to build his church. Amen. The church isn't fundamentally dependent on any one individual other than Jesus. Moses is dead. So Joshua, you can imagine, is in need of some real encouragement at this point, And he gets it. And it's pretty much a one-way conversation. Moses is dead, but God is still very much alive. And in verse 2, he speaks to Joshua. And he says, Moses is gone now, Joshua. I want you to now arise. And I want you to, I want you to fulfill all that which was promised and go over this Jordan. You and all these people into the land that I'm giving them. Into the land that I'm giving them to the people of Israel. Every place, verse 3, that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you just as I promised to Moses. Now I've tried to give you a, 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 a helpful picture historically with regards to where we're at. Trying to paint a faithful context, right? Like the background of a canvas. And but, but what about the texture of this picture emotionally? 
Well, I suspect that there would be a range of emotions that Joshua experienced at this point. Joshua, Joshua may have been extremely excited. Remember that 38 or so years prior to this point, Joshua had been one of the undercover agents who had not only stood at this very spot on the eastern side of the Jordan, right? because they've not crossed over the Jordan into the land. He's standing on this side of the Jordan looking over. Right? He'd been here before. He'd actually, he'd, he'd actually crossed over and entered the land as, as one of the 12-man team, remember, who had gone in to spy out the land on a reconnaissance mission to gather information. In Numbers 23, quite a bit of reading. Verse, sorry, Numbers 13, verse 17. Moses sent them, this is earlier, right? Moses sent them, including Joshua, to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, see, see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage. And bring some of the fruit of the land so we can taste it, we can sample it. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes, verse 23. And and they came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole. Oh my gosh, that's how big the cluster, the single cluster of grapes was that they could have to carry on a pole between two of them. No genetically modified food back then, right? And it says, they also brought some pomegranates and figs, verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land and probably eating their belly full, right? And they came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. And it's true, it flows with milk and honey. And this is his fruit. It's a little bit like my parents felt about England when they came over in the 60s. Like, oh my gosh, we're going to England, like the motherland, because the streets are paved with gold. (laughs) Can you hear the excitement? Verse 28, however, now get ready for the negative response. The people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified, and they're very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak. They're there. And you know the sons of Anak are giants. Verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, look, let's go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, boy, we're not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out saying, the land... Through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. Forgetting about what God had said. That's how we see ourselves. How do you see yourselves? How do I see myself? Well... That will dictate your future. 
Your whole life is going to be dependent on how you see yourself versus on how God sees you. And it says, as far as they were concerned, that's how it seemed to them. Forget it. We're not going anywhere. I'm trying to remind you of the fact that as Joshua stands there, he's having flashbacks from the past. This is possibly what is going through Joshua's mind at this moment. So picture Joshua reminiscing of this very same event. Maybe there's excitement because we never did it 38 years ago, but I'm still as strong and there's the land. Oh my goodness, we are now going to get the opportunity to go take it. But then again, maybe he's tearful. Maybe it's bittersweet. Maybe there's joy, but maybe there's also sadness, especially after recollecting that they came so near, yet they were so far away back then. This time around, <laughs> we see that Joshua, when he sends out spies, he only sends out two this time. Less opportunity for a bad report instead of 12. You see that in chapter 2, verse 1. We're talking about the emotional context of this chapter. Maybe Joshua could have been lonely. The only other important person apart from God and Caleb that is missing is Moses. And maybe Joshua's feeling, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've come so far with Moses. And he's not going to get to see the promised land. How is Joshua feeling? Well, regardless of that, God is faithful to his promise. Because remember, earlier he made a promise, particularly to Joshua and Caleb specifically, and that they would be the only ones who would enter into the promised land. In Numbers 14, verse 28 through to 30, he says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. That's the, that's the generation who grumbled and disobeyed God. And all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, you've had it. You who have grumbled against me, not one. So I'm talking about when I say God's word is specific. When he says something, he means it. And he keeps his promises. Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Again, we see that God is consistently faithful to his promises. Who would have thought that at that time, that the group left out would include Moses? Who would have thought? God keeps his promises. This would also have been a difficult time for the people. The old generation were coming to terms with God's promise to not allow them into the land. And there would have been hundreds, if not thousands, of funerals every week. If the estimation that it was approximately two million people that came out of slavery in Egypt then that works out to 4,000 funerals per month. 1,000 funerals per week. How many of you know that wouldn't be easy? Having to bury your family members, and again, as I mentioned, having to bury Moses. Well, God buried Moses, right? They don't know where the body is. The chapter before this, in verse 8, said the people wept and mourned for a month. At Moses' funeral. 
Emotionally, the people have been in a perpetual state of mourning and things could seem very, very bleak. We know slightly what that feels like, don't we? Just three weeks ago, we had two funerals in one week. Maurice, who's away in Ghana, his father passed away last week on Valentine's Day. Since Christmas, which is only eight weeks ago, we've had about eight people connected to us pass away, directly connected to us pass away. Not to mention extended family and friends and maybe work associates, people that, we, that we're never going to talk about, right? That we may know nothing about. Some of you may or may not be aware that myself and Pastor E used to work in a secondary school not far from here, doing performing arts mentoring in Lewisham. For approximately five years, between 2004 and 2009, it was crazy. We got a contract in this school, unbelievable. We went in just to do two weeks' workshops, and they basically, at the end of the two weeks, said, why don't you guys stay? We were like, stay? Okay, like for another week or two? No, they said, forever. (laughs) We were like, what? And they're like, we're like, well, how often do you want us to come in? Five days a week. We're like, what? We can't do five days a week. We do three. They said four. And we said, deal. And um, started going into the school. Literally, kids would come out of maths, science, and English and come into Allison, which we called Urban Mission. I mean, we were called Urban Mission. And over the course of that time, we saw every single pupil in that school from year seven right up to year it was 11, because I know that when we came in, the year 11s, we never got to see them properly, did we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we saw every kid in, in that school over a process of time. And there was a particular group that we had right from year 7. I just never had time. I would have flashed up a picture of them in their green blazers at the front of the class, learning how to rap. And they developed over the course of their career in school and became a legitimate group. They even won competitions and recorded extensively. They were called Tuck. Tuck man them. Tuck stood for the unwritten chapter. What a great name for a group. The unwritten chapter. One of them became a committed Christian and in our raps for Christ thank God for his life absolute rock solid born again spirit filled blood washed disciple of Christ no joke I know that because I saw him a couple of days ago <clears throat> one of them is a very gifted music and, and film producer slash comedian the guy in the back there with the hood Valence Dylan is the Christian brother. Um, sadly, the other two, they went to prison. One of them is still inside, doing time. The other one, who's right at the front, he, he was murdered. He was stabbed to death. Ironically, he himself wrote a number of songs that epitomized the life that he lived. One of the lyrics from one of his songs, 
me and Pastor E was just texting back and forth. He said in, in one of his songs, guns and knives take too much lives. Can't you hear the people's cry? Open your eyes and realize that guns and knives take too much lives. He got stabbed to death. They even shot a video with Jahaziel. I don't know if you've ever seen a video. It's called In My Neighborhood. You can Google it. He's actually in that video. And it's quite harrowing, really, as I recollect. And um, the video, In My Neighborhood, it, it responds to, it outlines and responds to issues of violence in our communities. Another lyric that he wrote, this young man at the front, um, in conjunction with the group. This is actually the song they're performing to this actual video. And it's the video is called It Bothers Me. And they're talking about all the things that bother them. And, and part of the chorus goes, It bothers me to see poverty. Brothers on the roads on, or on the streets begging 420p. And it bothers me to see single mums, to see single mums left on their own to raise up their little ones. And I have to pause there because he actually has left a son. He's just one year old. He's one year old. And the very thing that he, it bothers me to see single mums left on their own to raise up their little ones. It's ironic. It bothers me to see street crime. Brothers ain't got theirs, so they want to take mine. Take mine. Take my shine. Please listen to my 16 lines. Our only consolation is that we had the opportunity to share the gospel with, with these brothers. On multiple occasions over those five years down in our room, what we call the dungeon, because it was right at the bottom of the school. No windows, you know. <laughs> but there was light down there, trust me. The light of the gospel of Christ was down there. And <clears throat> that was five years we had opportunity to share the gospel with him. And he actually lived on my road. I know his mum, and I know his dad, and I know his little brother, and I know his big sister. And this young man, when he was growing up, was in church every week. Thank the Lord, his mum is a solid Christian. She's actually training for ministry. So when I went over to the house, she was, she was encouraging me. Come like Sister Angela. Remember when Brother Michael passed away? His mum was encouraging me as I stood there, mash up, trying to come to terms with this. Gus was only 20 years old. This happened three days ago. He was murdered three days ago. We know what it means to be touched by death. All of us. And it brings with it a range of emotions, doesn't it? But even in death, we see God's faithfulness. Because God comforts the broken hearted, doesn't he? But we will also see that God isn't sentimental. In Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 it says, And just as it is appointed for man to what? To die. It, it, it shouldn't be any 
surprise to us. Obviously, apart from when it happens prematurely, it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. It was true for Adam in the garden. God wasn't sentimental. He didn't take back any talk. And I suspect it wasn't easy for God to eject Adam and Eve out of the garden. I mean, that was his mercy. He could have executed them on the spot and that would have been completely righteous. It was true that is that man is appointed to die once. It was true during the days of Noah. It was true during the time of Sodom and Gomorrah. It, it was true in Luke chapter 16 with the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man... It's like for whom the bell tolls. The rich man is still in Hades. He's still in hell. And hell is, a, hell is just a holding place. I mean, if it weren't bad enough, the Bible says hell and death are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Which is where the devil will join those who... Death eventually comes to us all. That's a promise. And how many of you know... God keeps his promises. It's not one that we like to think about, but at some point, meditate on it, we must. Incidentally, that's why Jesus had to come and die on the cross. In order that we might not experience the ultimate implications of death, which comes as a result of sin. Death declares that there's a serious problem that needs our attention. And God said he will punish sin and our message title suggests that God keeps his promises. May God help us to heed the warning, amen? Isaiah 55 verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon his name while he is near. So the Israelites are faced with various challenges emotionally, including anxiety, possibly concerning the future. <laughs> I mean, if God would wipe out the whole nation, they'd be like, okay, we're about to go into the land. Maybe we need to obey this command to go into the land. And I suspect that Joshua is also feeling fearful. And we'll see why in a moment. More importantly, another promise that we see God faithfully keep is the one regarding the land mentioned in verse 2 of our text. The land promised to Moses in verse 3, but it was a promise originally given to Abraham because it was a part of the Abrahamic covenant, the agreement or the, the promise. The, the land was to Abraham's offspring, which is Israel. See that in Genesis chapter 12 when God... Now the Lord said to Abram, notice it's Abram, his name ain't even Abraham yet. Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make, you, I will make of you a great nation. And he does, doesn't he? I mean, nearly two million people come out of Egypt. I'd say that's a great nation. You know what I'm saying? And, and I will bless you and make your name great. Oh my gosh, we're here 
in Brockley, South East London, chatting about a man named Abraham. I'd say God made his name great. He says, so that you will be a blessing, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. At this point, Abraham doesn't even have a son. Talk about nation coming from him. He don't even have a rightful heir, but then God gives him Isaac. And then Isaac has a, has a son called Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons, and Jacob has his name changed to what? To Israel. So here come the 12 sons of Israel who then have children. They then become the 12 tribes of Israel. And through this nation, God will bless the families of the earth. Then in Genesis 15, verse 18 to 21, God clarifies the promise, including the borders and the boundaries of the land. Verse 18, on that day, now remember, this is Genesis 15, you know. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and Kenizzites and Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites and the Jebusites. My mom used to say, all the ites. We see this confirmed in verse 4 of our text from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, is all the land of the Hittites to the great sea. That's the Mediterranean, right? Toward the going down of the sun, because the sun rises in the east and it sets in the west. Is that right? That's right. All of that shall be your territory. He says in verse 4. This is major. It's one of the most important moments in Jewish history. Israel are on the brink of the fulfillment of a 500 year old promise. This is massive. And in the next few chapters we will see the land come into Israel's possession. Not without a fight mind you. God has a gift for them. But they have to fight to appropriate it. I mean, if you know, the same is true for us. There's ground that needs to be taken in Lewisham. And the devil ain't going to give it up without a fight. We saw that illustrated by two young men who, one in prison and one is now murdered, dead. We go to sleep at night, but the devil doesn't. But thank God we go to sleep at night, but the God of Israel neither slumbers nor sleep. And it's all right. But we've got to join with him in that effort, don't we? And as we see here, you see, that's why we need to be healthy. We need to be equipped and faithful to the mission. Because there's a battle that rages for the souls of men and women. And as we see here, God will see to it that his people will eventually overcome. But Joshua chapter 12, the first phase of the conquest is complete. I mean, back in the day, it should have only taken Israel 11 days to cross the wilderness into Canaan. It weren't God's fault. And whatever we don't do is not God's fault. May he help us. May he help us. God's people are now, 
but actually about chapter 12. And now in God's, God's people are now in God's place under God's rule, just as God had sworn to Abraham, to Abram. God keeps his promises. Here's another promise in verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. This is God repeating something that he had already stated to Moses back at the beginning of Exodus. Imagine 40 years before Moses even stands before Pharaoh in Exodus 3, God says, I'll be with you. I will be with you. And this is the sign for you that I've sent you when you've brought the people out of Egypt. Just as I was with Moses, Joshua. And God had evidently been with Moses. Remember when God delivered Moses, delivered his life from the death decree of Pharaoh when he was a baby? Appearing to him at the bush that was a light that didn't burn. I don't like to call it the burning bush because it didn't burn. (laughs) Do you remember when Moses threw down his his staff and it became a snake? There's evidence that God is with him. And then then God brought the ten plagues into Egypt, right? On the Egyptians. And And then God faithfully delivered his people out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery with a mighty arm. And the Lord says to Joshua here in verse 5, Just as I was with Moses, Joshua... So I will be with you. But it doesn't stop there. Notice the fivefold intention and emphasis. Verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses. So I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Another translation says I will not fail or abandon you. New Living Translation. This would be very encouraging to Joshua. Amen. Especially as he may possibly be feeling nervous, anxious, and fearful. Otherwise, why would God be so repetitive? And this is God speaking to him directly. This ain't a dream or a vision. Verse 6. Be strong and courageous. For you, Joshua, shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Notice, God gives them a command, but not before grace. He says, I'm with you. Now go. It's not, go and I might be with you. You get me? Like when they were in, imagine when they were in Egypt, God didn't say, okay, Moses, go and get the people, the Ten Commandments. What, while they're in Egypt and in slavery, yeah. And told them that they must obey all of the commandments. And until they obey the commandments, I'm not delivering none of you. He didn't do that, did he? He delivered them first, and then he gave them the commandments. You know. God gives grace, then he gives, I'm with you on that basis, go and do. Helen and myself, we've been reading through. Everyone's walking out at the same time. What what have I done? (laughs) (laughs) Helen and myself, we've been reading through Ephesians this week because it's half term in it. And we thought we'd just read a book that we can get through for the week and say, praise God, we've done some some good devotions. It, It has a beginning, a middle and an end and... 
You know what I mean? Sometimes you need to do that so you can read through a book. You try and pick book like Deuteronomy, you might not get to the end, right? <laughs> like two years later, wait a minute, weren't we, weren't we reading? We read, and, and it's beautiful because chapter one to chapter three is all about the great things that God has done. The fact that, you know, we're his inher- we, we, we have an inheritance and the fact that we've been adopted into his family and we get the opportunity to now to be seated with him in heavenly places in Christ. And even though we were sinners, it says in chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, for by grace have you been saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And right up to chapter 3, so he's talking about all the great things that God has done. And then chapter 4, he says, now... He says, make sure you walk worthy on the basis of the manner by which you've been called, chapter 4. But he doesn't tell them to do anything until he talks about what God has already done. Do you see that? And that's what we have to do. That's what we are trying to do. We could beat you like sheep. Oh my gosh. We could draw for the crook and the rod and the staff and smack you with it, like nicely. You know, what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? But we know that you're sheep, innit? You're not goats. <laughs> I mean, and I mean, if you know, you don't, you don't drive sheep. You know what I'm saying? You drive goats because they're stubborn and they don't want to listen. But like, like we've been saying... You know, Jesus doesn't beg anybody to follow him. He just says, you coming? If you're coming, cool. Oh, by the way, if you're coming, like last week, make sure you pick up your... There's a crossover there. It's got your name on it. <laughs> make sure you pick your one out and bring it with you. And also, remember you have to deny yourself. If you're, you, you see that he doesn't make it easy, but at the same time, he doesn't drive us. Because we're sheep. Where was I? <laughs> Ephesians. Grace. Then here comes the command. And that's the gospel. You know what I mean? And that's what we try to emphasize. You might be like, oh, them guys. Some, sometimes you might feel like we're not hard enough. We're not harsh enough. We have got those moments where we will roll up our sleeves. You know what I mean? Um, but... That ought not to be that which epitomizes our ministry. Um, Because God isn't like that. I'm saying God is very gracious. How many of you know he's slow to anger and he's full of mercy? But Galatians 6 verse 7 says, don't get it twisted. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Don't take God for a joke. And I mean, why? Because... He keeps his promises, good and bad, depending on how you take it. The God of the Old Testament, I love this, is this, it's the same God of the New Testament. He's consistent. You know what I mean? Grace and then the command. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do now based on the fact that I said I'll be with you, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Joshua, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. 
God reiterates the conditions for enjoying his blessing in the promised land. As Moses did in Deuteronomy 28 and 29 when he talked about the blessings and the curses. Two sides of the same coin. Verse 8. This book of the law, Joshua, shall not... Remember, God is still speaking. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. What are the words in there for? For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Here we see the opportunity to enjoy success and prosperity and even rest. He will go on to say in this chapter in verse 13 and 15, which we are not tackling today. If obedient, living in the promised land with God would mean an overabundance of provision. Sounds a bit like the language that was used in the garden. Remember, this is what Adam and Eve didn't do. They they weren't obedient. God says, eat from any one of the trees in the garden, but don't eat from that one. People want to do it the other way. Oh, you can't eat from that tree in the garden. Oh, and there's some other trees that you can eat from. The emphasis, God is a blessing. God is a good God. And just like in the garden, of, it's like, remember, Adam and Eve weren't obedient. They didn't take God's word. They didn't take God's law seriously. I mean, it was only one. But I know if it was me, I would have done the same thing. Hovering around that which I'm not supposed to be around. Right? They didn't take God's word or his law. They didn't meditate on it carefully. How do I know that? Because Eve misquoted it. Right? Going into the promised land is a little bit like going back to the Garden of Eden. And just like in the garden, there are enemies that need to be overcome. How many of you know? The serpent. The garden was wonderful. God was in the garden. Everything they needed was in the garden. But guess who else was in the garden? The serpent. The the snake. The reptilian sneak was in the garden. Getting all these, praise God, man. Getting all these sound effects, boy. <laughs> huh. And just like the serpent is in the garden, who's the enemy of God and also the enemy of the people of God, there's also giants in the land. It's the land of promise. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land where the streets are paved with God, but there are giants in the land. And they need to be overcome. A big part of being successful in the land would be hinged on appreciation and obedience to God's word. Adam and Eve did not heed that warning. How many of you know that the same is true for us? We need to meditate on God's law. We need to meditate on God's word. How often? Day and night. Joshua I mean, this was a big thing. This is a big, like, ask for Joshua. Because Joshua is fine in the daytime, right? To to read God's word. And that probably have to pull out scrolls and maybe even a handwritten copy that he'd done for himself, which is what the kings would have to do in the future. Deuteronomy chapter 17, 18. It's one thing him having to... 
check out God's word in the daytime, the sun's shining. But what about in the evening? Where he can't go in the house and just flick on the light switch. I know. I lived in Jamaica. 20 years ago when, there, when every single house had light or proper sanitation. And I'm like, this is, a, this is quite a big ask. But then I suspect maybe what he could do is he could, he could probably read it in the daytime and think about it, maybe try and memorize it. And then at nighttime he can be thinking about it. Or just draw for a candle, isn't it? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? It's like 20 years ago, I remember, there were no iPads, there were no iPhones, there were no iPods. Listen, when I got saved, I used to have to, t- when I got saved, I used to have to, I had the Bible on cassette. So you know, if, I'm, if I want to listen to the whole Bible, oh my gosh, I've got to take a, like a suitcase with me. But on occasion, I just take two or three tapes, because I mean, how much can you listen to, you know what I'm saying, in a day? Two or three tapes in my Walkman, my Sony Walkman, and you have to open it, and, and it was a heavy one because it had auto reverse, so you didn't have to take out the tape. It was moving, you know what I mean? And it's like, I would, I would listen to the Bible, and the only other option for like recording, there was no cutting and paste. How are you going to cut and paste from a cassette tape as you're li- I'm telling you, we don't understand the technology that we've got now. Jesus is coming soon. Because if you had even begun to explain this kind of technology that we got now, oh my gosh. And it was a thing where I used, to have to, I used to have to listen and write out the verses of scripture when I used to try and memorize them. I was talking to the guys the other day about how me and a guy called Pierre, when we got saved at the same time, we were working together. You know what I'm saying? We used to write out verses of scripture and I'd test him and he'd test me. You get me like sword fighting. And I'd say, all right, bruv, 2 Timothy 2.15. And he'd have to, oh, oh. And he'd have to reel it back to me. You know what I mean? Study to show yourself approved. A workman who's not ashamed before God rightly dividing the word of truth. You know what I mean? I learned them scriptures back then. And I'm like, New King James, by the way. And back then, that's how we meditate. That's how we learned and meditated and, and memorized scripture. What am I trying to say? You know what I'm saying? It's like, I mean, you maybe you're not, you're, you're not an Apple worshipper, right? Maybe you're Android. You, you ain't got no excuse. I mean, and, and the thing is, you know, I heard it said that if you had a recorded version of the Bible, it would take 70 hours to listen to the whole Bible. Now, I never had time to work out how many hours we have in a week, how many hours we have in a month, how many hours we have in a year. And yet can't find 70 hours. Lord help. Lord help us. Lord help me. I'm a culprit too, you know. Like, boy, we got a little bit of devotions in, but we're on a thing in the urban ministry program, like the DMT on a Thursday. We're trying to like read four chapters of the Bible a day. Hey, if you ain't used to reading your Bible. <laughs> and, and honestly, I mean, I'm a man of child. If I, if, I'm not, if I don't read my Bible, I, I try and listen to it. You know, one time we used to do men's discipleship, I always used to bang on one of the first items you need as a man in discipleship is an iPod. <laughs> Straight away. And I, I don't take back no talk on that. I still stand by that. Why? Because you can, you, can, you can have not only the Bible on your iPod, you can have multiple versions 
in audio. I'm saying, you know what I'm saying, you can be on the, on the bus, walking to the bus stop, or you, know, you could listen to the whole book of Ephesians on a train ride. I live in Sydney, and sometimes I go down to London Bridge, I could listen to virtually the whole book of Ephesians in one sitting, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Hey, I'm saying, we got no excuse for not meditating on God's word day and night. God, we got light. We got electricity. And so much more. I mean, Joshua was under or with Moses for how long? Probably about 40 years. How many of you know Joshua would have been immersed in God's word? I mean, he literally saw God's handwriting in the tablets of stone. But even then, God is still saying, fam, continue to set this before your eyes. Meditate in it day and night. How much more, you know what I'm saying, for us? We have no excuse. God, Lord, help us. And, you know, we try to facilitate um, Bible meditation for you here at least twice a week. Hey, what are we doing now? Every Sunday. It's here. Come get it. And then midweek, we go back over what we talk about on a Sunday in our community groups on a Wednesday and a Thursday night. I mean, it's like trying to make this easy for you, trying to help one another. And I said to the guys at community group, I'm just like you, you know. Listen, I'm so sinful. I would not study the Bible the way that I do if I weren't preaching. It's like sometimes I can't even, where's my Bible again, Helen, in the house? Can't even find my Bible. You know what I mean? As I'm transitioning to the electronic version still. You know what I mean? I'm like, you know what I mean? And if I find it hard, I'm sure you battle with the same. You know what I mean? And, and yeah, what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, look, this is us doing theology in community, together, helping one another. You know what I mean? And, and what do we get from this time? Don't we get much from this time? And then also in, in a midweek community group as we're chopping it up and looking at the word and asking questions and so on. And just like Adam should have done and Joshua does go on to do, we must fight. We don't fight the battle that he fought. They had to literally fight. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We don't fight against a particular family member. We don't fight against different races of people. Our battle is a spiritual one that we fight with spiritual weaponry and artillery, heavy artillery against an invisible enemy. Oh my gosh. The art of fighting without fighting. And Jesus promises to be with us until the end of the age. Listen to the similarity of speech in what we've been studying for the past four weeks. Matthew 28. He says, look, Jesus came to them and said, came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Does it sound a bit like Joshua? Go! Go take the land, fam. And make disciples of who? All nations. See, Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. That's what... 
That's what we read in Genesis 12. That's what we read in Genesis 15. See, the plan ain't changed. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. We see God commanding Joshua. We see him saying, set my word before your eyes. Don't turn from the left or to the right. And encourage the people to do the same. You see the similarity? And behold, he says, look, I'm with you always to the end of the age. It's coming just like the book of Joshua. We, we today have the challenge of trusting God's God's promise and his command as we stand on the brink of God fulfilling that which he swore to us in these verses. I mean, you know, it was to them, but it's for us. And and I can prove that by Hebrews chapter 13. For he said, verse 5 and 6, second part of verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Just like Matthew 28. Just like Joshua 1. So, We can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? It's continuity of the Old Testament into the New Testament. Sometimes it's unhelpful to see it as old and new. Because you think, oh, they're completely different. Ain't got time. Verse 9. Look at the similarity in verse 9 of our text as we conclude. Have I not commanded you? says the Lord, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. And I must admit, man, this whole thing about moving to Lewisham and us becoming a, you know, saying, a community church and the challenges in terms of the potential of us beginning to train and disciple and then grow and implant churches. Pastor E, Pastor P, this stuff's scary, isn't it? This stuff is scary. Um, you know, but it says... Like to Joshua, the Lord is with you wherever you go. And we're on the brink, aren't we, of potentially different things happening for us. And we may not be many, you know what I mean? But God can save by many or by few, right? He's not limited in that sense. <laughs> he whittles us down, if anything. Oh my gosh, Lord, <laughs> please help us, Lord. Don't whittle us down no more. In the next part of this chapter, Joshua immediately assumes command and declares a three-day preparation to possess the land. No, like nothing long. He just gets straight to work. The people respond affirmatively. And in Joshua chapter 2, one of the first things we see amazing is what? See, you need to, that's why you need to read your Bible. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That was not fair. He said what? Sent spies into the land. Who was the first person that they made contact with when they went into Rahab? And guess what Rahab isn't? Rahab isn't a Jew. She's a Gentile. Like I said, we ain't got time. And she's rescued. She's saved. And she's brought into the nation of Israel. Even to the point where Rahab is part of the line of the promised seed who is Jesus. Big, it's gone, and um, she was a yeah. Read it. <laughs> An outsider is brought into the people of God, and that has always been the plan, and it's never changed. Can you see that? God has always determined to bless the nations through His promise to Abraham. 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. And know then, says Paul, that it is those of faith who are the sons of and daughters of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, which is what Rahab expressed, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Oh my gosh. I have to quote it. I heard, I heard someone say this and it stuck with me. It sounds very fancy and very impressive, but it's, I'll just, you probably remember it. You can quote it as well. Can I remember it though? Novum testamentum in vetere latet. It's Latin. Hey. Bilingual. It basically means the old is in the new concealed and the, and the new, no, the, the, the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. Can you see that? Oh my gosh. The gospel in the Old Testament? Hey, good news. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham in a verse 8 saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. I'd say that's good news. And how many of you know I don't think there's anyone in here that's Jewish. That means all of us are recipients of this actual promise, aren't we? It's beautiful to me. Verse 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with faithful, are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul then says in Ephesians that this is a truth that has been developed over time. It's progressive revelation. Listen in Ephesians chapter 3. And again, this is the benefit of me looking at this this week. Verse 4. When you read, nearly finish. Verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's why we make the gospel a big thing, isn't it? <laughs> Incidentally, Joshua, Yoshu, I can't even say it, man, sure. Yoshua. It, may, it basically it means, I know it means, I can't say it, but I know what it means. It means Yahweh saves. It, or, or, or Yahweh, or God is salvation. The Greek form of Joshua is what? It's Jesus. Yeshua. And in Luke 24, Jesus said, fellas on the road to Emmaus, everything in the Old Testament is about me. It's all about me. Joshua is a picture of Jesus who is the one who will lead us into the promised land of blessing. We've got to wrap up. Through the good news about Jesus and his work on the cross, we become partakers of the same promise given to Abraham. I mean, you've got to remember, Abraham wasn't even a Jew. You know where Abraham come from originally? Iraq. Abraham originally was an Iraqi. Hey, that gave you something to go home and think about. We became partakers of the same promise given to Abraham, and God keeps his promises. God still wants his people to be a beacon that shines forth to the nations, 
that will be a kingdom of priests who are blessed and are a blessing to the surrounding nations, the surrounding communities. May that be true of us as God's people in this place, in the borough of Lewisham, or wherever it is you live, as we submit to his rule. Amen. I'm going to ask the guys to come join me, the band. And um, I'll take a minute to, to thank the Lord, to pray. Father, nobody could have come up with this. They say that fact is greater than fiction. And I'm so grateful, Father, that you are teaching us as your children. We'll be like Mary sitting at your feet, Lord, as a church. Ten years, Lord, we've been going by your grace over the bumps and through the potholes, Lord, and taking wrong turns and But we're grateful, Lord, you've got us on a journey. And it ain't nothing new. You always got your people on a journey. And what I'd like to thank you for is that you're with us. You don't send your people out to go do or to go be without you being right there in the midst, in the middle, in the heart of things. And as much as we can't see you, we love you. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be courageous. Lord, we're fearful about many things. I know I am. I'm actually terrified, Lord, about the future and what it means and what it's going to bring. The implications, Lord. I feel like, Lord, it's, it's hard to stay on top of things now as they are, let alone... But. You're with us. And I'm so encouraged, Lord, that we can look back down the corridors of time, down in ancient Bible factual history, and we see how nothing ain't changed, Lord. Your people have always been shook. They've always been confronted with mad challenges. Um, Yet, Lord, we see how you have been faithful. And we thank you, Lord, particularly this afternoon for the gospel the good news that was preached to Abraham, that you would bless him, even though he never deserved it. He was a liar. And he was a man who had his faults, just like so many other men and women in Scripture. Yet we thank you, Lord God, that you are the God who doesn't overlook our sins, but you deal with them. And you dealt with them fundamentally and primarily and and absolutely extensively in Christ on the cross. And that's how we appropriate the promise, by putting our faith in Jesus. Jesus, like Joshua, the one who would lead us. Jesus, the Lamb of God, John the Baptist said, who takes away the sins of the world, just like the lambs that were shed for years, for centuries in Israel, for the sins of the people, Jesus. And I pray that you would help us to understand more and more every day as we meditate in your word together and individually, day and night, Lord. Encourage us to do so because, Lord, there's great blessing in us understanding your commandments and walking in them. 
We don't want the curses, Lord. Lord, we want the blessing. So help us, Lord, I pray, as we continue to journey with you in your purpose, as your people, wherever we are, under your rule and your authority. In Jesus' name, amen.